Herzlich willkommen zum On the Way to New Work Podcast. Und bevor es heute losgeht, begrüßen wir unseren heutigen Werbepartner Teamleader. Und wir haben Teamleader schon in der letzten Folge vorgestellt. Es ist eine Cloud-Lösung, von der ich ja generell großer Fan bin. Und diese Cloud-Lösung fasst alle Apps, die man so im täglichen Bedarf braucht, in einer zusammen. Sprich, Teamleader ist ein Tool für CRM, Projektmanagement, Zeiterfassung, Rechnungsstellung und so weiter in einer App. Worum es aber heute geht ist, Teamleader ist ja jetzt schon der zentrale Anlaufpunkt für viele kleine und mittlere Unternehmen in ganz Europa. Jetzt hat aber Teamleader die Herausforderung, dass in jedem Land andere Apps als Lieblings-Apps bevorzugt werden. Jeder hätte ja am liebsten seine E-Mail-Marketing-Integration mit in diesen Apps, damit man nicht hin und her klicken muss. Um jetzt das zu schaffen, dass noch mehr Integrationen reinkommen, hat Teamleader einen eigenen Form mit einer Million Euro gegründet und finanziert Software-Tools mit dem Ziel, 1000 Integrationen zu schaffen. Wer also gerade dabei ist, Tools für mittelständische Unternehmen zu bauen oder gebaut hat und Zugang zu diesem Markt sucht, dafür wird dann bezahlt. Der sollte sich das also mal näher anschauen. Das heißt, ihr könnt mit auf dieser Plattform sein und darüber auch eure Kunden erreichen. Schaut euch das mal an unter www.teamleader.de blog. Da stehen alle weiteren Informationen. Und jetzt viel Spaß bei der nächsten Folge. Welcome to the On the Way to New Work podcast with Michael Trautmann and Christoph Magnussen. And we're here in New York. That's why it's in English. It's our third podcast in New York today, actually. And we're very honored to meet Chief of Staff. Is that correct? Chief of Staff? That's correct. Rachel Peck from Harry's, one of the very exciting companies, um, grew very fast. Um, maybe you give us the background what Harry's is, if people don't know that, because that's, uh, that's definitely uh, something we should do in the beginning. And then we will jump right into more questions about you and yourself and how you work at Harry's. Sounds great. Well, thank you guys for having me. I was just apologizing that I can't speak in German. Entschuldigung. So I apologize to all the German listeners. Um, but, but like you said, I work at Harry's. Uh, Harry's is about a five-year-old company now. We are a men's grooming company. So we make and sell shaving products, grooming products. Uh, we were founded in New York. But interestingly, in 2014, when we were about nine months old as a business, we acquired our factory in Germany. So now we are a truly global company with offices in London, in New York, and in Eisfeld, Germany. That's so cool. that's, that's what you talked when we had the office tour here, you said, this is our German side because it's a very nice office. I hope we can show some bureau material in the beginning to like give an idea. It's, it's clean but warm design and you can see the German impact because you can feel it's kind of structured at certain points. So you guys are disciplined? That's right. The, the New York side of us is the side that's always running around and the German side is the structured, on time, <laughs> very organized side. Before we get into the Harry story, maybe you, you tell us what, what's your story. Yeah. Where do you come from? Yeah, I'm, I'm not a native New Yorker, so a lot of people think I am. I don't know what it is about me that, that makes it seem like I'm from here, but I'm actually from Columbus, Ohio, um, so I, I grew up there. I came to New York for college, so I've been here ever since. Um, I studied English literature and theater, very lucrative <laughs> fields of the liberal arts <laughs> um, and really like didn't know exactly what I wanted to do when I graduated. Um, I knew I wanted to work for some sort of business and I wanted to communicate and tell stories, but I didn't know exactly what or how. Um, so I worked for a public relations and investor relations firm for a bit after school. Learned a lot, um, realized I actually wanted to work on the brand side and not at an agency. Um, nothing against agency. Oh, it's fine. <laughs> um, but I, I actually ended up at, at Harry's when I decided to, to leave my, my previous job. Um, I ended up at Harry's, actually. I, it's advice that I give to people. Instead of asking people about different companies or you know what, what it is they do, I asked all my friends to introduce me to the smartest person they knew who was happy in their job. And I assumed <laughs> if that person was smart and happy, there was something to it. And so I just wanted to like get beers and meet lots of people who were happy in their work and um, was introduced to a woman named Laura who, who brought me to Harry's and I've been here ever since for the last cool. four and a half years. And I, I guess in four and a half years, the company which is five years old, it's not the first job you're doing here. So probably you switched jobs and as you mentioned, you switched offices as well. Maybe 
we, we, we start the, the, your story and Harry's story from scratch. So how, was, how big was the company when you joined it? Yeah, when I joined, we were somewhere between 20 and 30 people. Um, so everyone could actually fit around a table. We used to have team lunches where everyone would literally sit mm -hmm. at the same table and eat lunch together. Um, and we've grown a lot in that time. Uh, we've moved offices into four different physical spaces. Our team has grown to now um, you know, almost 220 people in New York, plus another 15 in the UK, plus our entire factory and operations in Germany. So the team has scaled a tremendous amount and I feel really lucky that I've gotten to scale personally and professionally with the business. Um, I, my first like real focus here was um, serving as Jeff and Andy, our two co-founders, executive assistant. So I worked as their assistant for about a year um, and we were so small and growing so quickly that it wasn't just the function of kind of scheduling and calendar, but I was also doing things like planning a lot of our team events and thinking about employee satisfaction, was working on um, our like physical office space and facilities at the time. There's just a lot to do. Mm. And so uh, eventually they hired assistants to kind of take over that. And I've continued to work closely with them because I didn't want to stop working with them. So today in my role as chief of staff, I continue to work closely, um, but on a number of different kind of like special and strategic projects on internal communications, on our social impact work. So would be happy they're to talk about, about you. Your they're colleagues, laughing. they're laughing about you. I think it's because I look so official. <laughs> She looks so smart. <laughs> This is why having glass conference rooms. <laughs> it's a podcast. It's Behave. a podcast. And Marin actually speaks German, so she's actually who you should be interviewing we'll, right we'll now. We'll test this later. <laughs> she speaks fluent German. No pictures, no pictures, please. <laughs> we have all the official pictures here. That's I good. know, I know. I can't even say that as we're recording. <laughs> so I think it's, it's, a, it's a very nice opportunity to join a company in this early stage and to be that close to, 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 to founders. I, I met, as I told you before, I met Andy, and he's a fascinating yeah. person. I guess the other founder is it as well. And um, what, what, what do you think? How, how could you grow a company in this uh, relatively short time? period of time and how could you buy a company in Germany after nine months so there must be some guys who are good in acquisition of uh, money yeah, yeah that's right yeah. so you <laughs> money is helpful good, well funded that. yeah It, the money is helpful, but I think that like beyond the capital that's required, the the vision is really what you need. I think as soon as Jeff and Andy realized that razor blades were really, really hard to make, um, they, they had this idea of an acquisition in their mind at some point. Um, so when they were first starting Harry's, before a team, before a website, before any of it, when it was just an idea, um, they were doing a lot of research into who actually can make razor blades, where can you get the, these products manufactured. And they learned that there are very, very, very few independent manufacturers in the world. And so they were introduced eventually after lots of trial and error on their own faces <laughs> to our factory in Germany. And that was kind of the aha moment when they realized, okay, great, we found uh, what was then Fine Technic. We can, we can manufacture these products. Um, but there's a ton of risk that, that comes when your, your product and like your, your bread and butter is so difficult to actually make. So um, early on, they kind of floated the idea to some of our investors and we eventually uh, kind of were able to prove out the model such that they They felt comfortable investing in a round that led us to actually make the acquisition. Awesome. That's, that's definitely a story I stumbled upon, um, I think, first time hearing about Harry's, realizing, okay, there is more, there are more startups than just tech, pure tech-driven startups. There yeah. are smart models in a consumer area, and I love good brands. I actually always admire good brands, and that's definitely something you guys built. So, um from i also want to jump in from this very early time like yeah. when you say the vision is so important like how did you really make the vision work like how did you like bring it to the ground to everyone also now in that size yeah it's a good question and i think that it's changed at different stages in so what, our what scale. is the vision actually <laughs> like like or how would you how would you describe it like are there are sentences but there is something a feeling to a company yeah i mean we have We have, you know, lots of business metrics and goals that we're always tracking, but fundamentally we want to make good products. We want to treat our customers with a lot of fairness and respect. We want to create a brand that feels relatable and honest and like it's talking to real modern guys. Um, Jeff and Andy were pretty 
turned off by a lot of the, you know, images of like razors flying over the moon and these crazy, mm. like, you know, men shaving in beautiful bathrooms with supermodels slung over their shoulders. Like it just, it didn't feel authentic and real. Um, so, so that's what we're trying to do at Harry's. We're trying to solve a real customer pain point, provide exceptional products at real value. Um, and that's, that's really the vision and the goal. Um, we think it's an important space in the market and we just think it's fun to build a really consumer driven brand. Let's maybe we, we, we jump into the place where we're sitting here. Yeah. So we, we, uh, as we got the small tour of you, 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 you started to explain some of your sports and why you did uh, things like you did. Maybe you explain us your office and how you, how did you, how did you develop it? You said you were involved into, into this. Um, what is the idea behind or the ideas behind? Yeah, I mean, I think that the fundamental premise is that office space actually matters. <laughs> the physical space where your entire company is based or where a branch of your company is based has real implications for the ways that you work, for the ways that people interact. And so from the beginning, we've been really as thoughtful as we could about what that looks like and means. Um, so uh, a man named Scott Newland, who is our uh design, like head of design or VP who runs the design group. Um, he, you know, his group works on our physical products, but he also helps with this industrial space. Um, so hopefully there's the connection between kind of the brand mm. aesthetic and the ways that our products live in the world and then the physical office. And in designing the space, we thought of everything from the kind of superficialities, how does it look, how does it feel, to the very practical ways that people work in the space and use offices. And so, for example, we were talking a little bit before about how um, we we learned through some research that we did in partnership with Herman Miller through a program called The Living Office, that a lot of really fruitful conversations happen, not just during meetings, but, but before and after meetings. And so what we've tried to do is, as an example of how we made the space really functional, is build actually space outside of meeting rooms and conference rooms that allows people to break out and finish a conversation so that there can be that really organic kind of pre and post-meeting dialogue that you don't get if it's just a conference room and then a hall with nothing else in it. Mm -hmm. So that's just an example of the way we've tried to build the space beautifully but also functionally and kind of serve our process and team goals and not just our like visual or aesthetic goals. There, there are not that many companies in that size that do research with Herman Miller <laughs> and then like yeah. how an office is built. Like we're very data driven. Yeah, that's what <laughs> we'll I was come to like, this later. Is that the German side or the not? That, uh, that's like, the like, consultant side. What, what, what did you? What drive you there? That you said like we do research. Like, like who was driving that? And I mean, there is a lot of budget behind an office, obviously as well. I mean. Yeah, um, we so, so I think like fundamentally the vision came from our founders. Like they they wanted us to invest in a space, um, but we also don't want to be wasteful about how we spend our money ever um, and in our office as well. So we've tried to be as like thoughtful as we can without being excessive or reckless mm -hmm. in how we build out or spend um, when it comes to our office. Um, really, I mentioned his name before, but I give a lot of credit to to Scott Newland, who is uh, a, a brilliant designer, but also just a really Like smart and sensitive guy. He um, has relationships already with people at Herman Miller. And so the partnership came about pretty organically where there was some work that they wanted to do. They needed to you know, find an office test case to start thinking about these things and testing some of these ideas. And we were really happy to be a part of it. Uh, what I realized or what we could see is that you have a totally open space. Yeah. Uh, including your two founders. They, they sit there. Everyone's open. out yeah. in the open office. And you have lots of small conference rooms, many little zones where people can sit and work for themselves. So um, how, how does a typical day of, of you look like? Do, do you have your, your, your space or do you sit sometimes here or there? So how, how do you use the, the office? It's, it's all of those things, and it depends on what I'm working on on any given day. Um, so I do have a desk space. I like to have, just personally, I like to have a space that feels like it's mine, and my things can be there, and I can kind of go back and, and do quiet work at my desk. Um, I spend a lot of my time in meetings and in meeting rooms, um, so then I'm utilizing the office in that way. And then sometimes you just need that change of pace. Like, you know when you're just kind of in a rut or you need to do some quiet focus work and you don't want 10 people 
knowing where to find you. <laughs> um, that's when I use the other kind of zones and breakout spaces. We have we have different spaces that serve different goals. So there are some breakout areas that are right by a window, so you get really nice natural light. There's some spaces that are more tucked away and quiet, um, designated as quiet spaces. So the lighting might not be as good, but you know that you're not going to be interrupted. Um, so we've tried to create that diversity within the office so that you can kind of go to the right place depending on the kind of work you want to get done. That's really nice. I mean, how like how's the staff structured here? Like, where what are the backgrounds of the people working here, and like how do they feel about the office space? Especially yeah. the, the, the especially the open space is something typical U.S. I think it's where where it all started. But having a good open space is very hard to achieve. Yeah, it's right. And it's it's really interesting. You kind of alluded to this before, but because we are a product company and a technology company and a brand and all of these different things all at once, we have a lot of different kinds of people who work here with lots of different backgrounds. Everyone from software engineers to you know, machine mechanical engineers to designers to everyone in between, marketers, copywriters, and different people have different expectations and needs for their office space. Um, I think generally um, what we've tried to do is create that optionality and diversity so that if you're someone who really likes to work in quiet, you can find that. If you're someone who likes that collaborative fast pace, you might just work in the kitchen and, and have people coming in and out all day. So we've tried to create that. Um, something that's been interesting is, and I can send you guys some, some pictures of this afterwards if it's interesting to you, but we actually redid some of our space in our German office as well um, to mimic a little bit the style here and make it feel just cohesive and like there was one real office. Um, and so we, uh, we opened it up, we created meeting rooms, but we made it more of an open space similar to the office here. And um, we'd have to get someone from our German office on the phone, but I think that it's been pretty well received. I think if a space is beautiful, if it has different places where you can go for different reasons, um, and if it feels like it's designed with a lot of like love and care, mm -hmm. I think people mm -hmm. generally enjoy working mm -hmm. in that environment. How would you describe your... I mean, I can see and I can feel it, but someone who's listening to us <laughs> can't do this. So, so how would you describe the, the your corporate culture? Yeah, culture is interesting. So when we think, we, th there's culture and then there's values, mm -hmm. right? So we think about them not totally separately because they're not totally separate, but... Um, Va values, if they are lived by the founders, I would say drive the culture. I think that's, yeah, I think that that's exactly right. And so we have a real culture of inclusivity and like togetherness, which probably is one of the reasons why we wanted such an open office. Um, we were very much like team players and people step in and help each other. Um, we're a culture of learning. Um, so you can see that there are some spaces actually in our office where there we have labs or we have areas that you're able to do kind of um, metrology, which is a fancy word for like quality measurements. <laughs> Um, so that we uh, we try to like kind of incorporate some of those values and some of our culture into into the office itself. Um, but just generally, if I had to describe Harry's, I'd say it's a place where um, we take our work really seriously, but we don't take ourselves too seriously. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Even at the beginning of, of this conversation, you know, there were people outside the conference room kind of like making fun of me, making faces because <laughs> we have these fancy headsets on. Um, so it's I think it makes it fun to work with people who are good at what they do, who care about learning, who are kind of in it together, but who who aren't boring squares. Uh, how, how do you bring <laughs> together technology and space? Um, I obviously am coming again and again with the tool questions, but that's my yeah. my part um, in the podcast, uh, <laughs> asking and digging about the tools. Dr. I see tool. The, the Dr. Tool. <laughs> The tool uncle, the <laughs> godfather. Um, so many names. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just created now. I yeah, know. Right wow. now, Infinite on time. So um, I can see Google, I can see Slack um, on the on the desk. So typical startup tools that scale, that you guys probably scaled with. Um, anything you changed on the way? Did it just grow? Did you build it in? How do you teach people to use that? Yeah. A lot of the tools are, like you said, kind of the standard toolkit for, for startups. We have Slack, we have Google, we use Google for email. Um, we have outside of our conference rooms, it integrates with our Google calendar so you can check in. Just so, it is. Um, so that works really well for us. I think generally our philosophy when it comes to tools is that like less is more. <laughs> um, the more you have, the more room for error, confusion, the harder it is to onboard people, just the clunkier 
um, things get, and I think the, the less they're actually used. Um, so whenever possible, we try to limit our tools or teach people how to use our existing tools in interesting and new ways. Um, for example, instead of creating an intranet, can we just use Slack and have channels like our water cooler channel serve as a little bit of a message board and announcement center for people? Like, do we need to add something new or can we just use what we already have is the question we try to ask ourselves. But um, it's, it's an evolution and a work in progress. And I'm sure that when you guys come back in a year or two, which I hope that you do, um, we'll have a new set of tools and it'll continue to grow and evolve with the business. So do you invest a lot in training people and like teaching them the culture and work methods and stuff like that? Yeah, we have a pretty robust onboarding program. Uh, I think onboarding is underratedly important. It's like you spend all this work getting people into the door. You recruit them and you fly them in from all over the world to interview and you spend your team's time actually interviewing these people for hours and hours. And then it seems crazy to just be like, okay, no. Here's your Figure desk. Figure it out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so we, we invest a lot of time. We have um, we have onboarding on someone's first day, obviously, where they, they learn a lot of those technologies and kind of the core fundamental things that they'll need to know in order to be successful. And then that onboarding really continues throughout their first 90 days with the company. Um, we have uh, two full days um, within their first month that are dedicated to learning the different functions and teams. Managers spend time creating what we call a 30-60-90 plan, which is um, kind of a, a map for the expectations and projects that they're going to be working on over their first 30 days, 60 days, and 90 days. J just for the starters is this program. Just for yeah, new yeah, people. Yeah, cool. yeah mm. new wow, people that's on the cool. Team. And it's helpful because as a new person, if you kind of put yourself in the shoes of someone who's coming to work on their first day, it's like pretty overwhelming. It's like, what am I going to be working on? How do I know if I have met my manager's expectations for me within that first month when you're barely figuring out the subway to get to work? You know, it's it can be challenging. So it's been helpful for us to be really clear about those expectations because frankly, within the first 30 days, there aren't many expectations. And just being explicit about that and saying like, hey, your job is just to learn. Your job is to get coffee with people, to understand our culture, to ask lots of questions, to research our competition and our business and to talk to our customers. Like that's, I think, really valuable time well spent. Wow. I, like I always underestimate um, the, like the time people need to onboard. And then I, I have high expectations on what you can achieve in the four <laughs> weeks. <laughs> My people are laughing now. They're listening. And so they're <laughs> laughing now. They go, oh yeah, that's true. So we're kind of reworking and reshaping our onboarding program all the time. I know Michael has a pretty robust onboarding program yeah. um, at I your company. As well, but I can, What do you guys do? I'm no, we, we have this, this, this one day, uh, this first day where we really put people together. But I, I, um, I like the, the 30, 60, mm -hmm. 90 thing. So I, I, I'm going to steal this from you. It's very nice to, to, uh, yeah. to have... Um, so okay, you have in Germany, you have a six-month trial period. So you have after, 100, uh, after 90 days, you have this trial period talk but i think it's not not enough i think you should do more that's that's good yeah it's yeah. also helpful and sounds like maybe you could benefit as well Definitely. as a manager it's helpful to actually be forced to think about it i mean sometimes you're just so excited to get someone to join your yeah. team that you don't actually have a clear sense of what projects they'll be working on versus their peers and so for me it's always really helpful to be like wait what is this person actually doing yeah um, so how do you organize uh, feedback within the company do you have, have tools for this or do you have uh, the typical i have once a year i, I have a talk with my manager or do you have do you have more than this we try to do more so giving clear honest direct feedback having open conversations that is part of our values like that's mm -hmm. something that we really aspire to and i think our founders lead by example pretty well there but it's something that's hard like it remains really hard for us so there are some kind of regular systemic things that we do so we have um, a 360 feedback process once a year where you're getting feedback not just from your manager but from your peers, from your direct reports, from lots of the people you work with. And then um, once a year, we have just a, a manager and, and self-review. So you're giving yourself feedback and then talking to your manager about whether those expectations are, are aligned. 
Um, so that's kind of like formally. And then we just try really hard to create a culture where people are doing that all the time. Um, so we encourage everyone to have a one-on-one with their manager or with their direct reports on a regular basis. And that's a place where feedback is really encouraged. Um, we try to like celebrate and reward people who do a really good job giving feedback um, because I think that's important. And then um, really importantly, part of people's uh, promotion and compensation review is actually around like, did they live our values? And one of our values is giving good feedback. So people oh, are wow. actually rewarded for giving good feedback, which is, I think, a really important piece of it too. Very interesting because I really, I um, met not that many people on, and companies uh, which are very good at this. We, we had an, in one of our last um, podcasts, we had, we had a young entrepreneur. She has a company um, where she created a software Uh, which is for one-to-one -one feedback. Mm. And uh, she said, well, out of this feedback, which is then translated into <laughs> ones and zeros uh, and uh, artificial intelligence, they, they find out what is the individual um, uh, stuff that someone should learn. Yeah. And what is the, 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 the put together for the whole company? What are the areas where we have to learn? So they, they use this feedback tool Uh, to, to get a uh, lifelong learning organization. So I like this a lot. So it's a very young uh, startup, and, um, but I've never heard a company value which is that feedback is part of, of our values and uh, our part then part of our conversation. I think What are other good, values that you have? Because that, I think that's an interesting area. As <laughs> yeah, so we have uh, kind of like five key values, um, and some of them are a little bit uh, kind of We use words and jargon that's kind of specific to Harry's, so I'll try to paraphrase what it actually is because some of them might not make sense until you've actually been through onboarding and <laughs> understand <laughs> all the culture and context. Um, but one of them is around always improving. One is around giving really direct, open feedback. One is around that teamwork behavior, so like all in, all together. Um, and then one is around keeping the customer at the core. Um, so keeping the customer first and the customer close. And then the last is all around innovation and, and um, thinking of like creative ways to solve problems. And um, those are kind of the, the core things that we think create a successful employee here and the things that we want to value and reward. Um, so for something like performance reviews, compensation and promotion reviews, um, we think about the what and the how. So the what is like, what did you do? <laughs> what were your KPIs? What things did you accomplish? And then the how is like, how well did you live up to our values? Um, and those, those things are weighted equally. So they're, they're both really important to being successful here. Cool. And then you have a bar in your entrance hall. What's it's, this? It's actually, yeah, it's, it's a good question. So it's not alcohol, it's coffee. No, no, no. Really? I yeah. just saw it in the it's kitchen. Cold, <laughs> it's cold brew coffee. It's a new thing. That is cool. Coffee. Yeah. That makes us, the Razor Scooters and the cold brew coffee keg make us a true startup. <laughs> However big we get. <laughs> oh, nice, nice. It's fun. We actually, we think that those perks and nice things are... Uh, You know, we don't we don't invest in them in the same way that like, you know, a Google or a Facebook is kind of famous for like sushi and bikes on campus and like, you know, all these crazy perks. We we probably do less of that, but we think that it is nice to make sure that when people come to work, they have the kind of core things they need to feel like they can be really comfortable. And um, if they would, for whatever reason, have to come in early one day or work late one day that they'll have what they need to, yeah, to cool. make that okay. Is, is remote working something which is included into your culture or the way you work is if someone says well i want to work one day from a week from another place is it okay for you it depends team to team yeah. and job to job to be honest i wouldn't say that we have an overwhelmingly remote work culture i personally uh enjoy coming to the office and my job in a lot of ways requires me to be here but other people's jobs don't um so it's it's case by case um but the one thing i'll say is that we do have a remote and I'm kind of putting this in quotes right now, uh, culture in the sense that we have three offices that have to work together. Right. Um, so there's a team in Iceville, a team in London, a team here in New York, and we try to create the systems and tools and norms so that that kind of remote work is really easy and, and, um, and doable and scalable. Yeah. So you have on a high and a very high level, you have video conference systems yep. in almost every conference room. Yep. Yeah. We have video conference systems. We use Slack, um, to communicate across office because it's really easy. Um, we try to um, we try to be really clear about uh, meeting hours. 
which can be something that is very different, not just because of the time zones, which can be challenging, mm -hmm. but different offices have different cultures. Like the factory, generally speaking, is open very like early in the morning. People come to work at, in Germany, you know, seven, eight o'clock. Here it's in New normal, York, it's a little German later. time. <laughs> yeah, Seven exactly. No, that's right. And like vacations are different in Germany. Like yeah. there's like, d you know, works council. Like there's just different work cultural. Um, you know, so elements. you have, have meeting uh, meeting rules. So what was it? Meeting rules, meeting times. So, uh, we call them meeting norms. Yeah. So meeting it's norms, not yeah. as strict as necessarily a rule, yeah. um, but it's just guidance for people and how to and how to meet effectively. So part of that is the timing. Um, so just being clear about like, Hey, remember there's a time difference. If you put something on the calendar for 3 p.m. Eastern time on a Friday night, like Germany's going to be out having beers. Like mm -hmm. <laughs> that's like not, that doesn't make sense. Um, but also some, um, some friendly reminders in terms of um, sending an agenda in advance and having a clear um, meeting owner and things like that, that just create more effective meetings in general. But I think especially when you're trying to coordinate lots of people internationally. Yeah, it's the, it's the kind of discipline I know from U.S. companies more than for Ger from German companies. That's what I feel. So um, also, like, when you have, like, shared documents in the meetings, that's just what I saw, like, being very open and, and transparent. That was the question I had in mind. Like, how are you dealing uh, with transparency as a tool to grow the company? That is usually in a startup, all the information is sh shared, like, in the very beginning. And then it starts to like go into different directions. But how do you guys handle that? Are you very open, transparent, or doesn't it work anymore? Like, yeah, it's a good question, and I think that generally speaking, we are pretty transparent. Um, we share a lot of data about our plans, about our um, historical performance, about our forward-looking mm. plans. But and this is now just you know me personally, not on behalf of Harry's with a capital H, but. Um, I personally think that there at times can be this like false sense of glory around the idea of transparency. I think in a lot of ways it's good. Like you want everyone to have all the information that they need to be effective in their roles and to feel connected to the company and all of that. That 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 is really important. Um, but I think that like too much information can also be paralyzing. Like you don't always know how to process it. You don't always know what to do with it. Like. I, I, I don't think that transparency for the sake of being transparent is necessarily a a wise thing. Um, so what we always try to do is say like, what, like, what is our, like, what should our team know? And, um, and we share a lot because we think our team should know a lot, but, um, you know, for example, like we're not like totally transparent, like a Bridgewater where they record every conversation where they have totally open pay. Like that's just, that's not what we found to be most effective. And that's not what we found our team wants. Um, so it's been kind of a, a, an ongoing balance. Like, what do you share when, how, um, with the bottom line being like, how, how do you actually give people what they need to, to feel good about their jobs? Mm. With, your, with your two founders, do they, do they have frequent contact with, with the staff on, on a, what a week, week by week basis? So like Google, they are doing their, thank God it's Friday meeting. They mm -hmm. do it now on Thursday. So <laughs> for, for reasons, not because if they do it on Friday, they it's uh, with the different time zones it's not good anymore but they 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 still have once a week the two founders talking to to the whole company do do your founders do some something like this or yeah we have an all hands meeting here in new york meeting. once a week um and that's where they can kind of share what's on their minds sometimes it's about the business sometimes it's about the market sometimes it's just about the world or what they're thinking about um but that's our kind of regular cadence our primary consistent touch point with the full New York office. Um, and then we try to be really kind of deliberate about the other touch points that people need to supplement that. I don't think that that's enough. Um, I don't think it's enough to say we'll talk to the company once a week and mm. that's what we'll do. Um, so we also have this kind of menu or toolkit of other things that we do here. And that ranges from sending emails to the full company that's an update or kind of a state of the union. Um, we, we call it an AMA, an Ask Me Anything, but gives people a chance to ask. Uh, it looks like you guys do this no, too. No, no, like, <laughs> because Marcel, who is recording the video right now, he came up with a name for a YouTube series we do once a week. It's called AMA, Ask Me Anything. <laughs> so I love it. What? We do it. Perfect, awesome. <laughs> it's a great name. Um, so we, we, we do that with the team, which actually gives people a forum mm. to just ask open questions. Um, sometimes we have smaller group conversations. Sometimes it's more of like a business update. Um, so it really, it, it kind of depends. And I think the trick is to just really listen to the team and the staff and understand what people are craving, whether that's something more formal 
whether that's something more um, more intimate, whether that's something that's kind of fun and spontaneous, or maybe it's just a happy hour where the founders are there and people can kind of talk to them and enjoy their company. Um, so that, that's part of my job is to think with them about uh, what the company really needs from them and wants from them at any given moment in time. And then how do we make sure that they still, even as we get bigger, are, are super accessible and, and easy to get to know. How do you integrate the, the German production plant there? Because that's a different culture and quite far away. Do you guys travel there quite often on a frequent basis or other ways to pull them into the conversation? Yeah. Um, so email and things like, you know, mm. those, those are easy ways. I think also travel is just essential. Like if you have a global team, it's going to be really hard not to at least twice a year, you yeah, know, yeah. like be in every office. Um, so, um, I'm sure German listeners know the like, kind of works council cadence and the general assembly meetings. We think that that's a really good way for, um, for Andy and Jeff to talk to the the full broader company. And then there are other things that are site specific. So um, in Germany, for example, um, there are like boards on the factory that have announcements and news. And so that's one channel that can be interesting. Um, they have their own kind of site specific meeting cadence where um, the plant general manager and his leadership team can speak to the, to the office and team. So um, it's, it's, kind of an ongoing challenge to get in front of the full global company and language barriers makes that even harder. So then you have to think about translation on top of all of that. Um, but it's fun. That's why I've, I've learned so much in the last four and a half years or so and why my job's still fun. Very cool. <laughs> how, how do you organize yourself? So, I mean, I can imagine. Poorly sometimes. I can imagine <laughs> being four and a half years with two uh, founders, which are we're, we're able to create something big like this is is tough can be tough so so how do you protect yourself what do you do for yourself uh, to come down after a long week so how's you do you have a daily routine or uh, how, how do you create your workspace and your work time yeah i'm i'm not i'm not sure if i have the perfect answer for that i guess if i did have the key to balance i would be a very rich person and i could sell that key to a <laughs> silver bullet of finding balance we're, um, we're searching for it since, <laughs> since many years and we we're still on the way i yeah, was gonna say do you way. have anything any <laughs> any tricks or uh, i i test since since uh, almost one year now to start very early Yeah. to start at five o'clock to do meditation to yeah. do mobilization which is a kind of small workout and then do something which i have totally under control so don't read mails don't uh, use messenger things yeah. don't l watch what other people want from you so decide something then i bring um a tea to my wife we drink tea in the morning at I seven o'clock and then i i have the feeling i own the day so think nothing can happen to me. So this is a small yeah. daily routine I, I, I try. Yeah. No, I, I love that. I, I like to run. So I, I have that as my time in the morning where I can kind of focus and cool. I don't have my emails on. No one can contact me. Um, and it forces me to wake up a bit earlier to have that time too. I then like to listen to some sort of like podcast or um, you know, <laughs> your podcast or another like news or something to just like take me out of work. I don't like to just get straight into email. I like to, I guess, be reminded of the broader perspective of the world that we're living in. So um, I, I listen to something as I'm getting ready and that's some nice time. Um, email is hard. Andy, one of our founders, uh, says that uh, he has kind of like a famous line where he's like, email is a to-do list that someone else has made for you. Mm. If you're oh, just yeah, like yeah, stuck in email. I've heard this before, but yeah. I, I, I really, you have to put this onto your wall in your yeah. office yeah yeah email it's good. is a to-do list someone this is the topic this of the, the quote of we put on yeah. your on your post very nice. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's really smart and i like it's it's a challenge for me because a lot of my job is reacting to things mm. that are happening and so um it's important for me to have some kind of connection and i can't just totally not check my email i'm actually in email for a lot of my day um, but i try to uh, balance it and i try to be um, intentional about when i'm actually turning that off so my runs in the morning some time at night i can't just be on my phone all the way until i fall asleep or else i'll sleep terribly um, so trying to like find those moments of dinner with a friend like i don't want to be that person that's always on the cell phone that's good cool. <laughs> we talked a little bit about new york in the beginning like how intense new york also can can be as a city yeah so like We saw yesterday a lot of people running at the Hudson, mm -hmm. sunset, 
very, very nice. Yeah, that's but my running route, by the way, is right on the west side. Very few people sitting on the lawn, chilling and re relaxing. <laughs> Does that still work in the city? Interesting. Uh, do you, like, do you find still find the spots where you calm down? Because, like, when you're here, you can feel all the energy coming in. Like, whoa, there's a lot of stuff going on. Yeah. I think that this is why I'm not a native New Yorker at heart. <laughs> like, I... I, I I joke sometimes that when people come back from vacation here, they're like, oh, I'm so glad I'm back. I was so bored. I have never in my life been bored during a vacation. <laughs> I, I really appreciate that time to relax and unwind. And it's hard to do in the city. I don't know whether it's the physical environment or if it's um, just the type of people who are drawn towards a place with this kind of energy. But I think it's hard. Um, I live in I live in Brooklyn, which is um, a, a very bit good a, a very good decision. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and there, I you know I like live near a park. I I like to find those moments mm. of quiet because you kind of have to be intentional about it, or else you'll be running around twenty five hours a day. Like a lot of people here. Yeah, but I'm sure that you know Berlin, Hamburg. I would guess it's similar. No, 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 not <laughs> not close <laughs> as intense. Okay, Hamburg, you. Uh, I love Hamburg. Michael yeah. loves Hamburg as well, but you cannot throw Hamburg in the same yeah, area. Even Berlin is far smaller than, than New York, like by far. Like it's yeah, hard it's, to yeah. compare. Yeah. But then you miss it. So then when I when I go home back to Ohio for um, you know the holidays or for something, I'll, I'll be ready to like order food at like 11 p.m. on my phone, and there's like there's nothing. <laughs> not only can you not order on Seamless, but like things closed three hours ago. <laughs> yeah. Everything's closed on Sundays. Like yeah, it's a very yeah, different. Like, oh, the app is not working anymore. What's wrong? <laughs> exactly. How, how many people do live in your hometown? Uh, so Columbus is a. a moderately sized big city i'm not exactly sure but i'm from a suburb that has only about 15 or 20,000 people how is this that, that's that's a question related to new york like how is the culture of a startup that has been founded in new york different to the san francisco startups like yeah. can you see that do you feel that i do i haven't spent so much time in san francisco over the years but i think that like one of at least for us one of the big differences is um like we're actually like a physical product company mm. in addition to obviously running a website i think the scene so to speak in san francisco is very tech driven, tech -driven yeah. a lot of digital product like engineers run run the show um so i think that that's that's a pretty big difference it also feels like in some ways San Francisco is an industry town in the sense that everyone is working for a startup. Mm. Everyone is working for a tech company in New York. Something I actually love about New York is that, um, sure. Like there's a, a huge startup scene. There's also a huge finance scene and theater scene and art scene and music scene. And so it doesn't feel like, um, there's so much of a bubble as I feel uh -huh, sometimes uh -huh. when I go to San Francisco. Uh -huh. no, I like that comparison. Good answer. Yeah. Where, where do you, do you get inspiration? Just in the office. From talking to <laughs> inspirational people like you guys. No, seriously, I think that actually, like, sometimes talking about things, work, life, the world, mm -hmm. <laughs> love, like, whatever it is, actually, like, I process through conversation. And so I will for sure leave this conversation more energized than I started. And I, I really love, whether it's talking to interesting people like you both who are, who are interesting thinkers and building cool businesses, or whether it's just talking to a friend, um, I get a lot of inspiration just from processing through through speech and through talking. Um, I read a lot. I I like to to read, and I actually have been reading more fiction than nonfiction lately. Um, but I I like that. Um, I like going to comedy shows, and I always feel like a bit uh, invigorated after like a good improv show. Um, so that's those are some of the things I do to cool. get that breath of fresh air. Any good reading recommendations? If you if you would say even if it's fiction. <laughs> what are the what are the top five reading recommendations you have? Oh, top five. Well, what what kind of fiction do you enjoy? No, what, we what, want what to, would what you do recommend? You saying you know <laughs> what you you go on a vacation, to learn you, about need some, you. you need some time off. Read this. <laughs> read this. Um, I read a, a book that I really loved about the South during Katrina called Salvage the Bones, um, and I I enjoy like fiction that is about a place that's not New York. <laughs> so whether that's like across the world or just mm. in a different part of America, like in, in the American South, um, I enjoy that. So Salvage the Bones is a 
book that I've really enjoyed. I just finished um, An American Marriage, which is a, another book about kind of Louisiana and Atlanta. So I guess I'm drawn towards the South as I'm as I'm processing this through conversation. <laughs> I realize I should take a trip to to the South. <laughs> nice. Do you have questions? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm interested in through this process of talking to lots and lots of people. Like, what are the some what are some of the, the most interesting things you've learned or thought about differently? Uh, the the, the, the most interesting <laughs> the most interesting thing I learned is that I am able to listen for 45 hours um, uh, minutes. <laughs> <laughs> it feels like hours. All together, maybe. all together, it's 50 hours. So I I, I really learned to to listen much more carefully. Yeah. So a couple of of colleagues of mine they 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 said to me. I said one year ago, um, Michael, we can always ask you, but after 15 minutes, um, you're on another topic, you're on your smartphone mm. or whatever. And um, I, I really learned with this podcast to listen to to, to people. And um, in the beginning, I was I was uh, really I was I like sweat and it was tough to do. And uh, but I feel energized and 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 happy. And mm. uh, after. A year, I just feel happy and energized. So it's not nothing which really is, is uh, stressful for me anymore. But what we learned is, um, in, in terms of uh, new way of working, is that there are so many people uh, on the planet who really uh, ask the same questions that we do. Mm. And uh, that there is an ongoing process that people really feel that we are in a period of time where there are much more things changing than, let's say, in the, in the last 10 to 20 or th even 30 years and um, that are many people are interested uh, in talking about their expectations in life and, and, and uh, about their weaknesses. They're much more open than, than it was before um, and that there are some very smart people on the planet. Definitely. Yeah, I, yeah, I learned uh, I have the not very nice character trait of too often having an answer and I always have to step back mm. to asking more questions and then learning and the podcast helped me a lot in doing that um calming down learning that other people have other very good solutions so i'm always mm. leaving a podcast extremely inspired because there is always an aspect i can take if there's not i didn't listen close enough yeah that and that's what i learned that listening thing is really interesting to me it sounds so kind of straightforward but i think good listening is actually really hard like how, teach me how, how like what have you learned how do you do that like are there any kind of specific we, we had an agenda in the beginning like we had questions that yeah. we were yeah. asking in the beginning and we were like working through the questions saying oh we need to like find a way and then I, I just say it and you add something to it Michael um, it kind of started more becoming a flow like you get into the conversation we just met before the meeting so we have a first contact we talk and then we just jump right into the conversation and by being curious and then honestly, actively listen to mm. what you're saying, how you're saying it, it becomes more and more interesting to say like, oh, that's a nice aspect. Let's jump into that. And we don't want to discover or like discover, yes, but not, how do you say it, uncover some like new headline. We, we want to experience and learn. So yeah. there's a, uh, I, I love the, the quote of Andy, this, uh, um, Emails is the to-do list. Uh, your email account mm. is the to-do list somewhere else gave put it. for you or gave for you. There's another quote I, I, I have from Simon Sinek, who, who is the author of uh, Start With Why. So a guy who's really much believing finding your purpose is the key to, to almost everything. And he said, um, there's a difference between listening and waiting to be the next to talk. Yeah. And I think if you really take this serious, you... You, you you can analyze, uh, am I the guy? And I think I was the guy who was uh, mixing this up. And uh, mm. the more you ask, the more you um, get familiar with someone, you, the, the more you learn and the more you know about it. It's so interesting. We had guests in our podcast, um, both of us. We we knew since 10, 15, 20 years. And after the podcast, 80% uh, of this, what I'm... I was listening to it was new because it was a totally mm. new way of discussing or talking and um yeah, i think listening is the, the biggest gift i've i've got i've got out of uh, this podcast yeah that's cool if there was like one person in the world that you could interview for this podcast who would it be cool besides me <laughs> <laughs> you already got me oh uh, it's good um <laughs> now you're the first wow 
Rachel, you make me think. <laughs> one person to interview. One shot. Wow. We have some people on the list um, on our um, on our um, we have photos in at the office, and I don't know why, but I love people who made a big shift in their career. Yeah. Um, and I'm curious about why Jim Carrey made such a big shift because he was the comedian in, in, during my youth that mm. made me laugh a lot, really hard. And I think he was really funny. And he made kind of a weird shift that not everyone can follow. Mm. Um, I don't know if I would agree with everything, but that's okay. I want to understand what has happened with such a person in such a career. Interesting. He would be an interesting person to talk to and I think f a funny person to talk to. And I really love people who make me laugh i'm not naturally the the most funny guy at the table so um yeah i, what? Really, <laughs> oh, I, I really would would love to talk to him that's he's not my number one but that's some someone comes to my mind um i would still love to talk to elon musk yeah um an entrepreneur going through such rough times again and again and again and keep keep continuing we just one contact away, I think. <laughs> we <laughs> met Elon, a person. You're listening we, to this. <laughs> we met a person who knows him. So, um, yeah, two people coming up. Yeah. For me, there's there's a uh, book author and professor for organizational behavior. Um, it's Adam Grant. Yeah. Oh yeah. He's right. Right. I, I love his books. I love his. Uh, podcast <laughs> he yeah. started after us um, <laughs> and we tried to get in contact with him but uh, not not successful so far but he would be the one he's at Wharton uh, right he teaches yeah, at yeah, Penn yeah. And we when should I was talk we, we have some Wharton connections oh that's cool Jeff, when so. I was reading his his, uh, his, his first book about uh, giving and taking yeah. um, after I finished it I, I didn't uh, I didn't know much about nothing about him I said, well, what a wise man. And I had the, the, the picture of a 60-plus-year-old guy. Mm. And then I read his birth year, which is 82. I said, ooh, holy shit. <laughs> <laughs> so he, he's the one. Um, yeah, then probably what, yeah. And what would you ask him? Uh, what, what I was asking, I, I, I can't tell you exactly, but I, I really would probably be very, very good prepared. But I, I love the give-and-take story. Um, and, yeah. I usually come not that prepared, I have to say. I, I try to, like, get a feeling. Of course, I know the company, usually the person, but I try to want to get a feeling in the room. And I learn through some of the podcasts that I come I come with a plan, and mm. it's totally destroyed in the very beginning. We had we interviewed um, one of the leading German <coughs> media managers, Matthias Döpfner, and uh, when we came to his office, it used to be... Um, like half of the space used to be his office like 15 years ago like a room like we have here and then it was an open room and he was actually sitting there on the couch and he asked you guys want a coffee and we both expected actually him telling someone to make a coffee and he actually walked to the coffee machine made a coffee for all three of us we sat down and it sounds so normal when you're in the startup scene but it felt so different and then you could feel this new work coming there being lived and then mm. this whole thing started to change so mm. that's what i like and there's another person uh, I've, I've met her once had a short conversation with her which is cheryl uh, sandberg oh cool yeah mm. uh, especially i mean she made a terrific career but but she had uh, some tough impacts into her life and mm. and yeah, i would love to to have this conversation with her as well yeah, yeah. She's Besides on my you. list. She's <laughs> on my list too. So it would be both of us together. Okay. So <laughs> yeah. we do the podcast together. That would be <laughs> awesome. Oh my gosh. I would just be like in awe the whole time. I'd be silent. <laughs> we have four cables here that we can add her. It's <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Fantastic. Great question to make us think in, yeah. in the end. Thanks for that, Rachel. And thanks for the time. Thanks for having it's us. Almost yeah. an hour now, as we told you. Wow, it's, uh, time flies. It's so Thank fast. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you guys both. And this all the best to Andy and his partner. Thank you. I'll pass that along. It's all about the journey. It's all about the journey.